Good morning. Uh, my name is Joe Hamilton. I am the uh, CEO and chairman of Unigold Inc. Uh, we're a company uh, developing a gold asset in the Dominican Republic. Uh, we'll start with a small oxide project, heat bleach, and move into a larger sulfide project over a number of years. We've been active for about 20 years in the Dominican Republic. Uh, and I'm happy to tell the story today, Matt, um, and thanks for taking the time. Joe, good to see you again. We saw you last July, um, and we've spoken a few times, um, actually. But i gotta, I got to start with, SharePrice, it's not been a good uh, 12 months for you guys. Uh, SharePrice has come off. If, to be fair, I think Press Metals came off uh, across the market the end, end of uh, last year. You're still a sub-$20 million company. People don't seem to be getting this story. Is it the Dominican uh, Republic effect? Are, we, are people looking towards Barrick and uh, GoldQuest and, and thinking, well, it's impossible to get permits here? Well, I think that's it. I mean, that's the pushback uh, I've been getting, Matt, for you know close to three years now. Uh, you know, is that it doesn't matter how many ounces you have in the Dominican Republic, which you know we've got over 2.2 million ounces now. Um, it doesn't matter what we've got, you know, you'll, you'll never be able to develop it anyway. And, and you know, I find that patently incorrect. Uh, you know, we wouldn't be operating in, uh, over the last, you know, 10 years in the Dominican Republic if we didn't believe that we could bring these things to fruition. Um, in addition, we, you know, we wouldn't have spent, uh, you know, 12 to $15 million over the last three years uh, to develop these things. And, and we certainly wouldn't be in a feasibility study at this point for our oxide portion of the deposit. Uh, you know, it's my belief that, uh, uh, that it's that permitting can be done in the Dominican Republic, but like any country, you know, the critical thing is having community support and, and having communities, uh, you know, want to see the mining development in the area. So that's, you know, we've been working fairly diligently on our corporate social responsibility and our community engagements actually for the last 10 years. And that's coming to fruition for us now. But, but you say, you say that and lots of companies come on the show and say similar, similar things. I'm looking at Barrick. They've got all the money in the world to de develop the right sorts of local uh, community initiatives, ESG programs. You know, GoldQuest not too shabby either in, ter in terms of their balance sheet. So, why are you going to be able to do it where they can't? Well, you know, it's I, I think there's a lot of uh, let's say population pressure in some of these areas. For instance, in you know at least where where Barrick is operating in the Dominican Republic around Banal, uh, where Pueblo Viejo is, you know, there's other mines operating in that area as well. So it's it's a mining district. However, uh, it's also fairly heavily populated and has been for 20 or 30 years because I think you can point at almost any place on the planet. Uh, and when mines come into operation, people move into the area because there's opportunity, there's there's jobs, there's spinoff uh, jobs. So you get uh, population growth. Uh, you know, where, we're, where we are working in the uh, western part of the country, it's fairly remote. Um, there's not a lot of infrastructure. And the communities that we're working around, uh, you know, our polls that we've done with them have shown that we have, you know, probably about an 85% approval rating in those local areas. People want to see the infrastructure. <clears throat> they want to see the roads uh, built up. They want to see the electrical grid built up uh, and they want to see the jobs that come with it. So those spinoff benefits help. Uh, so community support is incredibly important. Uh, I think in Barrick's case, they're working on, on getting that. Uh, but you know, there's always misinformation that's put into the, uh, into the marketplace about projects. Uh, and that misinformation has to be countered by the uh, by the mining companies with you know proper information. A lot of times, you know, at least what I've seen, I'm sure you've seen the same thing, is uh, people start to resist projects before they've even seen the environmental impact assessment uh, or seen what the uh, potential problems may be or potential uh, solutions may be with a with a mining project. And these knee jerk reactions start early. They're very difficult to. Uh, uh, to sort of repel without having those studies in hand. Uh, 
so, you know, we, we started our environmental and social impact assessment uh, last year, um, and we will be able to table that in uh, hopefully in the third quarter of this year uh, so that we'll be able to address any issues from the communities. But to date, we've got great support from our local communities. And I think we'll be able to uh, move this project forward fairly swiftly this year. Okay. So you, since we spoke, you, you did two raises. You did one um, about 3.275 in August, just after we spoke. And again, in August, uh, October, 2.34 million. So you're not finding it hard to raise the money, but what are you doing with the money? Because it's not having any effect on the share price or your market cap. So what... Is this a some kind of slow burn type of, of approach? I mean, what, what, what do you say to shareholders when, when you're going, going off and raising money and then spending their money and it's not having any effect? Well, you know, it's 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 funny because uh, if we could take that money and, and immediately move into the market and try to buy stock, we might have an effect on the share price. What we can do is with the project is move it up the value chain. And moving it up the value chain means moving it towards a production decision where it can actually become cash flow positive and you can take those ounces out of the ground that you've discovered. And we spent a, a you know fair amount of money trying to discover those you know, 2.25 million ounces that we have in the ground. Uh, what we've been doing uh, with the money is obviously going through the permitting. We've started an environmental uh, assessment process. We've started our feasibility, uh, detailed feasibility work, uh, which starts with the geotechnical work around the heat bleach facility. Uh, we have completed drilling uh, the inferred material to move it into the measured indicated category. Uh, and hopefully we'll see a substantial portion of the oxides, uh, the inferred oxides move into the measured indicated category. We've completed column testing uh, on the heat bleach uh, samples that we had for run of mine column testing, and we found some great recoveries there, Matt, where you know, we've seen 92 to 95% recovery over 110 days. Uh, just to remind uh, you know, the, our investors and the, and the people that, are, that have been looking at this story, you know, we used an 80% recovery in our preliminary economic assessment, uh, and we've shown that we can get 92 to 95% recovery in large diameter uh, column testing with run of mine material. So, you know, I've always said that this heat leach project and the oxide project is, is simple. Our objective is to move that up the value chain, and that's what we've been spending our time and money on over the last uh, four or five months. Uh, and I think we'll be able to deliver that feasibility study in the third quarter of this year as well and show people that we're ready for the construction process. So, so it breaks down to two, just for people who perhaps not, perhaps new to the story or perhaps can't quite remember the last conversation, mm -hmm. and we'll put a link below to the last conversation so they, they, they can get into the weeds a bit. But you, you kind of got the oxide portion, you've got the sulfide portion, right? So oxide, obviously, the, the easier, cheaper, um, uh, and, and, and I guess near-term cash if you can get there. Um, and I want to talk about that in a second. But to be even to be able to do that, you're going to need your permits in place too. So in terms of conversation, in terms of timing, where are you? Uh, well, in uh, in late February, we submitted the application for a, uh, an exploitation license. Uh, and that's the first step uh, to convert the exploration concession that we've got into an exploitation or a mining license uh, over the area. So we submitted that application, which is a, you know, a fair amount of backup and, and paperwork required. Uh, the ministry accepted that uh, as complete. Uh, it's going through the ministry process. Um, once they have approved it and said that, uh, you know, the coordinates jive and everything is, is complete as far as the paperwork is concerned, uh, we'll have to publish that in a national newspaper for comment, um, wait a week, publish it again, uh, wait another few weeks uh, to see if there's any comments about it, at which point 
the application uh, should be ready for approval. So that's sort of the process we're going through. We're about two weeks into it now. I think it'll probably take another uh, four to eight weeks to go through the entire process. Uh, but, you know, once again, as, as you get into permitting, no one's quite sure how long these things take. Um, so I'd like I, what I'm directing the, the uh, market or trying to manage expectations is that, uh, you know, by the end of June or early July, we should have those permits in hand. Uh, so that's the, the path we're going on. After that, of course, we'll have to get environmental permits, construction permits. You know, there's another 16 permits that, that need to be uh, assembled after that. So another how many? 16? Well, there's 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 approximately 16 that you need from water offtake to, uh, you know, transport permits to, you know, all the standard permits that you need to uh, to move things along. Once you've got the exploitation license and the environmental permit, the rest of them are fairly standard. Fairly standard in, in, in what sense? In, in terms of how long well, they, they take? The, there's a defined approval time process? Yes. Right. Okay. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Which would be what end to end would look like what in a perfect world? We would like to be in a position to be able to break ground in uh, December or January, uh, December of this okay. year, January of next year. Matt. Um, okay. And the logic behind that is that that's when the rains, you know, that the rainy season in the Dominican Republic ends in November. Uh, it's always easier to do construction during the dry season. Uh, and that's what we've been guiding uh, most of the government ministries towards as well as that, uh, you know, we'd really like to have all of these permits in hand by that time so we can uh, we can get to work. Okay, so December or January. Perfect. Okay, so again, just I just want to remind people. I want you to remind people. Okay, with with the oxide project, it, there's not a whole stack of answers. The, the the bulk of this is in the sulfides, right? That, that's, that's correct. True. And when we talked last time, there was a kind of 50, 50, 50 in terms of fifty percent was in M and I, and you're looking to bring the uh, inferred in, in, into that category with, with with your drilling. But what does the oxide do for you, given that it's you know the, the the kind of I guess the cheaper the the heat bleach process the the cash flow could could be you know relative in terms sorry the capex could be relatively cheap and therefore the you could actually finance accessing the larger sulfide portion of this so how how are you planning has your thinking changed not at all you know our strategy for the last three years uh, has been fairly straightforward and I think we we've, we've tried to communicate that to the market you know the oxide portion of the deposit it's it's a fairly small deposit it produces about 30,000 ounces a year um, over a 3 to 4 year right. period Got it. over about a 3 to 4 year period uh, but you know the the objective behind the oxide portion of the deposit and it's quite simple i mean this this is uh, simply removing soil that's sitting on top of a uh, a small hill and moving it downhill to a heat leach pad so a fairly simple operation to leach as well but the idea is that you know, the area that we're working in has no operating mines. Uh, most of the, the, the people who live in the area and the local communities haven't seen what a mine can do uh, for themselves or for the communities. Um, and there's not a lot of uh, trained workforce in the area that we're going to need. So the idea behind bringing the smaller deposit online first is it's proof of concept for the market. Uh, it lets people know that we've got uh, the permits can be got, you know, can be in hand and that we can develop a deposit. It trains a workforce for us in the area, which is incredibly important. Sets up uh, our logistics and our suppliers in country before we move into the much larger sulfide project. Now, the, you know, the sulfide project right now is about 2.1 million ounces in all categories. It's still open uh, to depth. Uh, there are high grade areas in here that probably define about 800,000 ounces of that are, are going to be running over four to five grams as, a, um, as an average grade. Uh, as compared to the much larger deposit, which is currently running about one and a half grams. Uh, so we need to work out, which we'll do over the course of the rest of this year, how we go about attacking those sulfides. Uh, you know, on the one hand, you've got the gigantic project that a major mining company will do, which is you know, large open pit, large tailings facility, large waste piles, uh, large environmental footprint. 
Uh, on the other hand, the underground portion, which is the higher grade portion, may be more profitable for us um, by simply going in and extracting the higher grade material, lower capex, um, you know, lower environmental footprint without a doubt. So we've got some work to do on those sulfides as well. But the oxides and the sulfides are two standalone projects. We're not going to delay on developing the oxides to wait for that information on the sulfides. We can move forward with the oxides now. And it, and it gives us those intangibles, uh, which is, uh, you know, the community support that we need uh, and trains the workforce that we need in the area. Well, let's talk about that. Let's, let's talk about that because you've you've raised some you've raised some money in the market. I'll come back to the the you know what your what the expectation is from the people who have invested in in your in your company. I mean, what's the share register look like? Is it mostly North Americans looking in and hoping that Dominican Republic is the is the next uh, district or jurisdiction to, for, for gold, or you know, are you getting a lot of local support? On that, what's it look like? Uh, you know, interestingly enough, in the last six months, we've rolled over about forty to fifty percent of our uh, of our float. Um, so, you know, the stock trades fairly well. Currently, our largest shareholder is still Eric Sprott, uh, who still owns approximately twelve percent of the company on a on a, an outstanding basis. Um, the Phoenix Gold Fund bought in uh, and raised their portion to about eight percent in the financing that we did last uh, last July August. Uh, you know, and they're uh, you know, basically out of Asia. Uh, the bulk of our other investors are mostly North American, uh, Canadian and U.S. investors. Although in October last year, we, we managed to attract the first money uh, from investors in the Dominican Republic uh, who purchased, uh, you know, in total, I think we offered about 9% of the company at that time. Uh, so, you know, it gave me great comfort to see that, uh, that individuals within the Dominican Republic were now ready to invest in this project. Um, and in our company, uh, so that uh, you know, that gives me all kinds of comfort because what it means is that uh, those people who who know far more about operating in the Dominican Republic than uh, than most investors are willing to put their hard-earned dollars into this project as well and to help with the development uh, of the project. So, oh, so you're saying of the October two point three four million, nine percent of that went to locals, Dominican people from living in. Uh, Substantially, the the uh, the entire investment that we did in October last year, which was about two point two million, uh, went to um, uh, went to residents in the Dominican. Okay, Republic. okay, yeah, okay, interesting, interesting. Okay, well, that's got to help. Well, I, I think so. I mean, and it's also you know the the uh, the investment that we were managed to attract. Uh, you know, we're from companies uh, that are doing business in the Dominican Republic now. Uh, you know, they have interests in um, in construction, uh, aggregates, you know, that they know how to do permitting in the in the DR. Uh, they run mines in the DR, albeit not metallic mines, um, but, you know, certainly are uh, familiar with doing business in the DR, quite comfortable with it, obviously, <laughs> because they have operating businesses there. So uh, they don't see any issue with us getting permits in the country. Um, you know, the when they were able to look at the at the preliminary economic assessment on the oxides, which I think was the key to attracting uh, those advanced investments, they were able to see the economics behind it, understand it. Um, you know, I, I think that is uh, certainly makes me more comfortable about the permitting process we're going through now. So, how are you how are you forecast then? Because if you're talking about doing a feasibility study, normally there's some big numbers that are associated with that. Um, and if you're talking about potentially being able to get in, in, getting in getting the permits you need to um, uh, for, for 
for well, all the permits you need, quite frankly, by the end of this year or begin or, or January. Well, tell me about the money situation because I'm because I'm sorry because you said that the non the oxides and the sulfur is non correlated in that sense earlier, didn't you? So, how, how do you move it forward on a, on a tight budget like that? Yeah, well, it's you know that's that's what I like to do is, is to move things forward on tight budgets. But uh, you know, once again, Matt, I think you got to do it properly as well. Do you know what I mean? So you got to yeah. say to people, look, we're doing the things properly. It's just we can do it cheaper than most than than you perhaps are used to hearing. Absolutely, and and the way we're doing this is um, and j- just to get down to the cash position. Uh, including prepaids because we prepaid for a lot of the geotechnical work and a lot of the environmental work, you know, including the prepaids, we probably have about 1.5, $1.6 million in the bank at this point. Now the uh, projected budget to get us through feasibility and the end of the uh, ESIA, uh, we're burning about $300,000 a month at this point. So, you know, one of the, one of the terms that I, um, that I'd love to hear people say, which I never will, uh, is uh, we're fully financed. Uh, you know, I hear that from exploration companies all the time. And the fact is exploration companies are never fully financed uh, until they've got, you know, diversification and number of mines to make that happen. So there, there's no question that over the course of this year, I mean, we'll be looking for project financing. Uh, you know, that's my task starting as soon as I have the, um, the initial numbers on the feasibility study is to go out and start looking for project financing, which of course will include equity and debt. So we'll be doing that over the course of this year. Uh, you know, we'll probably be, uh, you know, once again, exploration companies are always looking to raise funds. Uh, to answer your question about, uh, you know, what's this going to cost as far as uh, feasibility studies concerned? The uh, the environmental work we're using, uh, mostly local consultants. You know, the, the Dominican Republic is, you know, it's an advanced economy. We, we can find biologists, we can find people in country uh, that have PhDs and masters in, in, in these things. Um, we've uh, used a local firm to assemble them. Uh, we're getting night piece old uh, to, uh, let's say, review the work that's being done and ensure that it's being done to international standards. So we're using international consultants to ensure, at least on the environmental and social impact assessment, that that is coming up to global standards. Uh, but we are using local people, which, of course, cuts our costs. You know, we don't need to bring in a team of international consultants to do this and drop them in country. Um, remember that uh, we run our own drills. Um, and our drilling rates are about $100 a meter, which is probably the cheapest in the industry uh, because we're able to run our own drills and, and make that happen. Uh, as far as the feasibility work is concerned, um, you know, we're, we will manage the feasibility work. Uh, you know, we're, we're not putting in a general contractor to do it, uh, which generally adds about 20 to 30% to the cost of a feasibility study. Um, we currently have um, Tierra Group uh, doing the geotechnical work and the heat bleach facility designs. Uh, we've contracted them individually. Uh, you know, MICON will do our update on our mineral resource estimate. Uh, once that's done, then we'll award a contract to do the final um, the final designs with the ADR and, and the cash flows. Uh, and all of that should be done by the end of June. So, you know, managing it is just a matter of understanding the process and making sure that you're getting the best bang for the buck uh, on the way through. So, um, you know, to get to the final end of the feasibility study is probably going to cost us about another three hundred and four hundred thousand uh, dollars in terms of consultants, and we'll be doing, uh, you know, more drilling and more exploration in the meantime as well. Right. So you will be raising money later later this year. You're going to have to at that current burn rate with the cash that you you've got in, right? But absolutely. But to get to so to get to the end of the year, when you've got your numbers from your feasibility study, and to be able to then go and, go and raise the money for it, it'll be a relatively small cap. I mean, heat bleaches. We, we've seen numbers vary significantly. Um, you know, have you have you got a sense of what sort of quantum you'd be talking about eventually to actually start the heat bleach 
process and have you got a number in, in mind as to what you're going to need to get through to the end of the year? Well, yeah, the, the, the only numbers I can really talk to are the uh, are the PEA numbers that we put out last year, which was a capex of about $35 million. And I suspect that that will be something like you know $15 million in equity and $20 million in debt. Um, you know, the, uh, the Dominican Republic has a relatively good risk rating when it comes to being able to raise debt. And I think a lot of that debt may be available in country as well. Um, so that's that's sort of the quanta that we're looking for between now and the end of the year in order to get into production. And that also provides us with sufficient working capital. Uh, we may do the equity in a number of tranches. It's you know, hard to say at this point. I, I can't remember um, what, what gold number you were using on, on the PEA. I, guess I sort of remember the 34 million after tax NPV, but what? what? Yeah, the uh, the gold number for the uh, the resources uh, that were quoted, I, I believe the number that Micon used was $1,700 an ounce. Uh, but I believe for the uh, for the economics and the PA, I believe it was sixteen hundred dollars an ounce. Okay, okay. So there's a little bit of tolerance in there. Um, mm-hmm. It's also interesting, I think, generally that the the equity gold equities have not really certainly down to the expiration and or development, and I think you would argue um, have not sort of seen the reaction to gold price at the moment. What, what do you think is going on out there in the market? Well, I, you know, I think it's a number of things. Uh, I, I think we're seeing a, a swing in investors who now have even a shorter uh, time frame for a return on their investments. You know, it, it seems to me that there's fewer and fewer buy and hold investors uh, in this market that uh, that see an opportunity and say, sure, that might take four or five years to come to fruition, but I'm willing to park my money there and, and wait because I have confidence in, in what they're doing. It seems to me that a lot of investors are in it for, you know, a two week, three week, three month, six month turnaround. Exploration is a long story. Uh, you know, when you know back in the day when I started in this business, uh, it took about eight years, uh, you know, to go from discovery to production. And now that number is closer to about seventeen to twenty years uh, to go from discovery to production. Uh, you know, these are long-term uh, investments. Uh, people depend on exploration stories uh, to give them leverage to the gold price. But for some reason, just in the last uh, you know month or two, you know we've seen equity prices decouple from gold price movements. Uh, it's been it's been very strange to me to watch uh, when we know that certainly producers are going to get the benefit. You know, no one's hedged anymore, or very few people are. Um, you know, they get the benefit from gold prices almost immediately, uh, but that doesn't seem to come through to their uh, to their share prices terribly quickly. Uh, so you know, from an exploration story, it's it's hard to say. Uh, you know, where do we go? And, and I think it's really uh, the time horizon for investors. Um, you know, but a lot of these uh, exploration stories that turn into development stories, which is what we're going through, you know, there's a huge potential to see gains in the share prices once that transition's made. Um, but it's difficult picking your horse. Uh, you know, easy projects are best, low capital projects are best. And uh, you know, move forward from there. So I, yeah, I, I kind of agree with a lot of what you said there. But um, just, just on, again, I remind myself of the, the the strategy here, obviously between the oxide and the sulfide component. And I guess I know they're decoupled in that sense. But the, the oxide is the the kind of quick win. It was what I, again from memory, 23, 25 million um, after tax free cash flow, but it was only for three, maybe four years. Do you say? Do you know what? Can we can we do some step back drilling? Can we make that four to five years rather than three to four years? Do you think the market would react to that, or do you think actually what, what what's what, what's the point? We'll do it nearer the time because let's just get some cash flowing. 
It covers our costs. It allows us to do the work that we're going to need to do to develop the sulfide component of, of, of this. Because there's a, ba there's a balancing act of trying to paint a picture in the marketplace and get a reaction to the share price now versus just making sure your, your cost recovery dilution is minimized and, and assuming that you can raise the kind of 35 million or so to kind of get the oxide bit into production. The cash flow will, could come for that despite it only being three to four years. What are the trade-offs? Yeah, you know, you know, I, I think that the oxide project will go beyond the three and a half years that, that we're sort of got in the PA and, and but you're not saying that in the feasibility study. Most companies say that well, to me is go, well, we've we've had a we've had a three three year life of mine for the last eight years. <laughs> you know. Let's 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 put it this way, Matt. I, I prefer I prefer my statements to be conservative and I prefer to run a, a more conservative co uh, company if possible. Um you know, and, and the oxide portion of the deposit does have limits. There's no question. We've got some joy in some of the uh, expansion drilling that we've been doing um, around moving the uh, inferred into the measured indicator category. Uh, you know, and, and that's that's showing us that there is room to expand the oxides. But, you know, it's not going to be an expansion to 10 years. Uh, it's just because of the way these things were developed. These are tropical weathering uh, oxides. They're, they're developed where the sulfites come to surface in over, you know, 10 to 15 million years of tropical weathering. They turn into oxides, uh, so but you know that they're not going to be uh, they're not going to be super extensive. The real win is in the sulfide portion of the project. Um, but the oxides, you know, once again, do a number of things for us. They allow us to train a workforce in the area. They get the communities comfortable with what we're doing as far as mining is concerned and what the environmental impacts are. Uh, and they also allow us to set up our logistics in country. And they ensure that we've got appropriate infrastructure installed in you know what is a fairly remote area. Uh, before we start tackling the larger sulfide project. Uh, the sulfide project itself, uh, you know, will be some combination of open pit and underground. There's 2.1 million ounces available to us there in all categories. Half of it is in measured indicated at this point. Uh, there's high grade portions in it as well. There's probably about seven or 800,000 ounces of that, uh, which run over four to five grams uh, in, you know, as an average grade, in some cases up to half an ounce uh, of gold per ton with silver and copper. Um, how we go about extracting that, uh, you know, we are, uh, we're, we're not getting sidetracked into the sulfides at this point. We'll be able to uh, communicate that to the market in the second half of this year on how we intend to bring the sulfides uh, into the larger operation. Uh, but what I want to keep our teams focused on right now is getting the oxide through the permitting, getting all the work we need done today so that we can start construction later this year on the oxide portion of the project. And that's a fairly, you know, I wouldn't say monumental task, but there's a lot of, uh, uh, there's a lot of threads that need to be pulled together into that tapestry. Before. I understand that. I understand that, Joe. And I think you've done a good job of, of, of saying that, telling that story today. But okay. it's a small story, right? What I want to understand is. is from that small story, does that generate enough, enough cash to mean that shareholders today or shareholders coming in today looking for a, a high leverage play, um, can, they, can they interpret that saying, look, we can get to FID on the sulfide portion, which is a plus two million ounce uh, resource or categories at this point, but 50-50, um, because we're going to generate enough cash to go through the study phase uh, relatively quickly, having proved um, the model out by dealing with the oxide portion and not have to tap you up for more cash until we get to an FID position. That's what I want to hear. If I can hear that, I'm like, okay, I could get aboard with that, but, but what's the reality? Yeah, the, the, the reality is, I don't know. Uh, you know, we, we haven't looked at the size of the operation. You know, is this is this going to be a, uh, you know, an open pit 
that's going to be processing 25,000 tons a day and it's going to require a flotation concentrator that can do the same. Capital cost on that's probably $500 million. Uh, but, you know, you'd be producing 150 to 180,000 ounces a year for a 10-year period. That's one project. Uh, there's another project that's an underground project that's probably about 100 to $120 million in capital, something in that range. It's a much smaller flotation concentrator, 3,000 ton per day operation, generating 80,000 to, to 100,000 ounces a year uh, over a 10-year period. There's that project as well. The reality, Matt, is that this project will be something in that range in between those two. Those are probably end members. Uh, so the capital cost numbers, you know, it's, it's really tough to say. What I can say is that the oxide portion uh, does indeed generate sufficient cash flow to get us through all of those studies uh, and get us through all the permitting for that. That's all I wanted to hear. That makes me feel comfortable. That's all I wanted to hear. Okay. But, and, and then I said, right, okay, that's fun. I'm not going to be tapped up for more cash. Uh, if I invest in this thing, I can sit and go along, go along this ride as you, 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 you drive it up the value curve. Right. And, uh, 10 cents today, um, a 20 million market cap. I don't think you've got to do too much to get up from where you are today in the nicest possible way. Uh, and, you know, I, you know I, I think that would be an interesting ride to go on. Um, and so that's great. Then what I need to understand is second thing, and I think there's only two things here, is how long will that take? I get this complicated. You've got a bunch of options available to you. There's some high grade stuff. It could, it could be partly open pit and, you know, and, and probably more than likely also underground, but What's the time frame for going through a, a um, studies process? So from where you are today on the oxide through to the full FID on the sulfides? Uh, well, I would like to think that by the end of this year, we'll be able to communicate to the market, hopefully in the form of a preliminary economic assessment, how those sulfides come in uh, with the oxides. At that point, once we've defined the project and defined the production rates, uh, we'll have a much better idea how we want to proceed. And then we're going to have to go through the normal uh, standard course, which is the preliminary feasibility study through the feasibility study. And that, that could take one or two years. But once we get the um, the oxides into production, we've got a four-year window uh, where we can deliver that and then start to work on all of the environmental work that will need to be done on the sulfides. Joe, great stuff. Appreciate appreciate that today. Sorry to be so blunt at the end, but I, you know, I, I'm trying to unearth something, and you know, and I, th I think we kind of got to a good place at the end of it. Um, stay in touch with. I, you know, I'd really quite like, and I think our, our, our viewers might uh, enjoy, is if we could get into a little bit more technical on on, on the drilling. Maybe come back and speak to one of our. Uh, geos on you know how you're planning that how you're mapping out some maybe some of the modeling that you're looking at and again get into some of the conversations about the options available to you on the, on the sulfides that would be great yep. and matt if, if people are interested uh if you go to our website uh, you know we've got all of our drill information available um through the verify platform which gives a 3d view it's uh, it's quite an interesting tool for people who want to prowl through it and we're happy to share that with people through our website so by all means beautiful thanks very much